uh, bring you greetings from Seventh Reformed Church in Grand Rapids. It's a privilege to be here to open up the Word of God with you and to have the privilege to preach. So thank you to Pastor Rick for the invitation and for this dear congregation for, for praying for me. I'm looking forward to open up the Word with you. We'll be in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. With God's help, I'll preach through the the first seven verses, but for our purpose here, I'll I'll read through the first ten. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This is God's living word for us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Excuse me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to read your word, to be reminded of your grace, infinite, matchless, marvelous grace for wretches like us. Oh God, show us Christ. Show us your glory. And please, Heavenly Father, We want to see the new birth as well. Save the lost. Set them free. Comfort your bride. Be with us as we worship you together now this holy moment together. For we pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you have a bulletin or not, but my sermon title is, But God. It's two simple words, but God. There's so much in them. As one pastor has said, it's it's the entire gospel. You could summarize it in that way, but God. And for every born-again Christian, this is our song, isn't it? This is our joy, but God. It's merciful to me, a wretch made me alive together with Christ and saved me. This is our song. And so I hope with 
with God's help this evening, just to open up for you, but God, the riches of his grace and his mercy and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And I hope for anyone here who is yet still in their sin and dead, that this too would become your song, that God would be merciful to you and open your eyes to see the riches of his mercy and kindness towards us in Christ and open your eyes to see the glory, the glory of the cross, that you would be saved and you rejoice with us and sing with us, but God. So I've got three points here. The first point is God's or his visitation. Second point is his salvation. The third point is his intention. So we have God's visitation, God's salvation, and God's intention. So let's begin with the first point. And so the Apostle Paul is doing here in, in the book of Ephesians is opening up for the saints. Thank you, brother. A little too hot? Might be me. Okay. Thank you so much. If it happens again, I apologize. But what, what the Apostle Paul is doing here is opening up for the saints. What are just the, the towering, glorious riches of God's mercy in Christ? And he starts here in, in verse 3 of chapter 1 with this doxology of, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he just goes on and on and on in salvation. And, at the, and in the end here in 15, he prays that I want the eyes of your hearts to be opened, enlightened to see what is the hope that you've been called to, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the awesome power at work within you who believe. And he's creating this just massive edifice of praise to God. And to do this, if you want to build a really tall structure, you've got to go really deep first. You've got to lay the foundation first. And so in, in chapter 2 here, he starts as it were, for he's, he's talking to saints. He's talking to those who were born again. But he's saying, like, let me take you back down into the pit from which you've been dug. Let me take you back down, as it were, into the very pit of hell. And I'm going to take you on a journey from here up into this glorious heights of praising God for his riches and kindness towards us in Christ. And so how does the Apostle Paul start this chapter? He says this. He says, and you were dead. If we just stop there and look at the word dead, it's a state of death. It's a state of not being alive. There's, there's nothing that can be done to you um, that will move you towards God, is what he's saying, spiritually. You are, we're not physically dead, but you are spiritually dead. You can could, you could poke a dead man, you could speak to a dead man, you can nudge a dead man, but a dead man's not going to get up. He's dead. And not only are we in this state of death, which we were in a state of death, he goes on, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So you're, you're in this state. Everybody is born in this state. 
Nobody is born saying, okay, you know, I've known God my whole life. He's just been with me. No, you were born dead in your trespasses and sins. You've got to be lost before you can get saved. You were born dead in your trespasses and sins. So you're, you're born as somebody who is transgressing the law of God. You're born as somebody who is, there's evil rooted within you, and it's only evil continually from your heart. That's the truth of everybody who was born, who's even conceived in this world. Born in a state of death and sin and trespasses. Unresponsive to God completely. Dead. And it's in certain these sins that we once walked. And the Apostle Paul begins to open it up here. He says, You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so we were born walking, following the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the year? He's talking about Satan here. And Jesus had that altercation. He had that dialogue in John chapter 8 with the Pharisees. Do you remember that? He says, if you were of your father, you would be praising God with me, but you're of your father, the devil. He was a liar and he was a murderer from the beginning. And so we are born not only dead in our sins and transgressions, this state of death, but we are born bondage to Satan. He's got his chains, he's got his ropes, he's got his, his bonds around us. We are his slaves. Everybody is born that way. And you are following the course of this world. When he's talking about the world here, he's talking about the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life. He's talking about this this world, this, this, this age and what we live in that is decaying, that is filled with sin, that is filled with rebellion, that, it, that is characterized by the sons of disobedience. And so we follow Satan, the father of lies and who was a murderer from the beginning. We are hating God. We are hating others. We are walking in the course of this world, striving after our own selfish desires. We are dead. And our trespasses and sins. Not only are we dead in our trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, Satan, but we inherit this corruption from our forefather Adam in the garden. And you remember, children, the story of the garden, the Garden of Eden? we have there is with Adam and Eve, our father and our first mother. They were tempted by Satan. Satan came to them, and Adam was deceived and transgressed against God and ate that fruit. Well, what's wrong about eating a fruit? There was a tree there in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says that in the day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. And Adam ate the fruit. And it's unspeakably horrific what Adam did. I mean, think about it. God creates, he says, let there be light. And there was light and light obeyed. He told the sea, this is how far you're going to come. You're going to come no further. And the sea obeyed. 
He said, I want mountains here, I want lakes here, I want this here, and they all obeyed. You've got creatures coming up. You've got earthworms doing their earthworm thing, and they obeyed God. And then he made Adam and Eve and said, this is very good. This is the pinnacle of my creation. They are made in the image of God. And what happens? They rebel. They rebelled against God. And so if, if, only the, the, if only the trees, if only the stars that God put in place, if only the earthworm could speak and say, God, we obeyed you. Look at this. The pinnacle of your creation disobeyed you. What must belong to a son of Adam but death, condemnation, condemnation. All creation crying out justice against this one. He's transgressed the most holy God. Deserves death. Well, in the day that Adam ate of it, he did die. He died spiritually. He, didn't, he died physically. He would die physically. He didn't die physically immediately. He started decaying. But immediately, spiritually, he became an enemy. He became a rebel. He became a traitor. He became polluted. He became corrupted. He was dead. Dead in his sins and transgressions. And now all of us, we are all sons of Adam. We are born inheriting this corrupting flesh of rebellion and sin. And that's where Paul goes on in the next part here, in verse 3. We're talking about the sons of disobedience. We are sons of disobedience, just like Adam was, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so not only, we're not just these poor benighted people to say, oh, woe is me, it was Adam's fault, or I inherited his corruption, I inherited his guilt. No, we are actually willing participants in the state of death. It says that we walked in the, in the desires of the body and the mind. And so when Adam died, his affections changed. We were made to enjoy God and know him and worship him forever. Adam's infection, affections turned in on himself and became covenanted with the serpent Satan. I want to follow Satan's designs. I want to follow the sinful desires of my heart now, which are to lie, to steep, to steal, to murder, to profane God, to be idolatrous, to worship the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the state of Adam. This is our state. Our mind was darkened. We couldn't think clearly anymore. We, we rationalize sin now. We think, oh, this looks great. This, this sin is deceiving, though. It's killing us. And Satan is guiding us into this sin. And we're convinced that, oh, this is good. Our wills are no longer free to obey God, but they're in bondage to our lusts, to our death, our state of death. So every inclination of our heart as, as y'all probably read a few weeks ago in Genesis, was only evil continually. Why did God wipe out all of mankind but spared Noah and his family? Because the wickedness of the earth was great. What happened after the flood? He said, still, the thought, every thought and intention of his heart was only evil continually. 
only evil continually. And so this is our state. We, we, are, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but we are like a rotting corpse. There, every single cavity, every single pore of your being is just oozing sin, death, decay, vomit, vileness, idolatry, theft, murder, adultery, wrath, haters of God just oozing from us, dead. We're just a a stinking corpse, dead. So far have we fallen from what that once, that first state of grace in Adam, in perfect communion with God. Now here we are, not only dead in our sins, but willfully dead in our sins. We don't want to change. And perhaps that's some of you still here this evening. I don't know your hearts. I don't know you. But maybe there's still some of you here who are yet still in the state. And maybe you're thinking, I've heard this a million times. I've heard it. Would to God that he's speaking to you now and convincing you of your deadness. Your deadness to God. This is what you're created for, to worship God. But what do you worship now? What do you do with your free time? What do you do with your thoughts? And you you might be thinking, well, you're talking about the world, right? I'm talking about people even in the church. You see that you could put on a form of Christian religion and externalism and think you're okay with God. God sees your heart. He looks right into it. He sees the condemnation. He sees the destruction. And it says that in the book of Hebrews that we all are naked and exposed before him, before, we have to, before whom we have to give an account. We're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And are you really willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ in your own robes of Christianity, Christian religion, but you haven't been born again? Are you really going to toy with your never-dying, everlasting soul that way? And just try to deceive others and deceive your parents or whoever, your coworkers or your church members. Really, with your soul, you're going to toy with your soul? Well, you say, well, it's not too bad. You know, I can clean myself up. You can't. The Bible says that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags before a holy God. And not only that, not only is our state of wretchedness and misery and woe here um, in and of ourselves and from our father Adam, but Paul ends with this phrase. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And this doesn't strike us with fear like it should. Children of wrath. God's wrath. Almighty God's wrath. The wrath of him who mountains melt before him when he comes down in fury. The wrath of the Lamb on that day when sinners will cry out for the rocks, fall upon us, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. This wrath of a God who is all-knowing 
He sees every thought and intention of your heart. And He is angry with the wicked every single day. There's nothing that escapes His sight. He is completely wrathful to those who are yet in this state. Why? Because His justice has been offended. Remember what Paul says here? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. You broke God's law. Like we were saying earlier, the trees were saying, condemn him. We need justice here. And God's justice was seething like, this, is, this deserves wrath. I'm angry. You've offended me. This is wrong, you creature. I've given you so much. And you've violated my commandment, my one commandment, to not eat of the tree. And, and, and it's a God who, were you to die in this state, in this state of wrath, it only begins for you now in this life. You will be plunged into the lake of fire for all of eternity, where every thought and intention of your heart, where, where God who knows all things, who is able to make you perfectly miserable and wretched for all of your life, and you will burn as justice is meted out upon your head forever and ever and ever. It's an eternal state of death. And this awaits everyone who is born in this world. This is all of our condition. If we are to perish now with, without coming to Christ, this is our state. Death. Children of wrath. There is, there are children of wrath, and in, and in hell, we could praise God even in this life that there is there's sunshine. I can see out the windows, there's sunshine, there's rain. Praise the Lord. But in the lake of fire, there's not going to be one second of mercy. There won't be one abatement of God saying, you know what, I think I'll make it a little bit easier for them. No. Constant pouring out of wrath from an almighty God forever. And you'll say, maybe there's an end and there's not going to be an end. We'll die forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Children of wrath. That's our state. That's our state. But our text goes on. If we were left here, we would just say, okay, I'm going to go crawl on my face and just cry and weep, right? But then we read this. But God. But God. Okay, children of wrath, you're thinking, God, but God's my judge. What's going to happen? But God? Like the demons who were saying, have you come before your time, Christ, to torment us? Is this it? But God? And saints, you know it comes next, right? But God, being rich in wrath, in mercy. But God, being rich in mercy. Brothers and sisters, mercy. Mercy to a sinner, to a transgressor, to a son of Adam. 
This is unbelievable. It's amazing. Mercy. Think about this. That you have God the Father looking into the face of God the Son. Just perfect bliss, perfect delight, perfect love. There's nothing getting in between them. It's just glory and eternity past forever and joy and bliss. And God creates everything out of the outpouring of his love. And he looks on, he looks on a holy angel. He turns his eyes, as it were. He just looks at a holy angel. And all of heaven just falls on its face and says, What mercy! What grace! That, that Almighty God will look on a holy angel. Amazing. And then you have God. He looks on his creation, on his creatures. He looks on cows and, and birds and, and fish and he feeds them. He looks on the crops and he sends rain and, and water and sunlight and winter and springtime and harvest. We just go, we fall on our face again, brothers and sisters. This is, our, this is, this is just worshipful. Like, God, amazing, amazing. But then for God, in our fallen state as rebels, as we just laid out here in the beginning, children of wrath, to give the, the, the message of the gospel, to bring the gospel to the ears of somebody who is yet dead in their sins, and even if they still reject the gospel, what mercy, what mercy, what mercy even if it hardens their heart and furthers their condemnation in the lake of fire because they didn't repent. What mercy that God would send the gospel. But brothers and sisters, our song is this. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. So this isn't just the gospel coming to my front door and leaving. It is God just in rich mercy and grace, just like a flood coming and saying, I'm pulling you out of the pit of death and of hell, and I'm saving you. I am making you my child. And I'm going to pour out the riches of my love and my mercy and my grace upon you for all eternity. Starting now in this life. That's mercy. How rich is that? Brothers and sisters, if you know anything about your heart, you just want to fall on your face right now and weep and say, praise God. Praise God. Because I'm, a, I'm an evil wretch. Every sin, seed of sin, lies in my heart. And, and maybe you're, you're sitting here and you're saying, you haven't yet tasted this mercy. You're saying, can God's, is God really merciful to me? I'm a horrible sinner. I'm a wicked sinner. I, 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 I am, I've broken all of God's law. I've done horrible things. I've thought horrible things. He's rich. He is rich in mercy. 
So come with your rap sheet of sins. I don't care if it's as tall as heaven or as far as the east is from the west. Come with it. God's mercy is rich. And he can meet your sin. He is rich in mercy for sinners like you and like me. But where does this mercy come from? Where does this mercy come from? It brings us to our our second point. His salvation. And it comes from God being, He loved us, it says, with the great love. God loved us with a great love. And this is amazing. That while we were yet sinners and while we were yet enemies, God made us alive together with Christ. I want to unpack that. God, with his beloved son, like I said, in eternity's past, just beholding the glory of his son. He loves his son. The Gospel of John says he, the father loves his son and has given all things to his hands. He wants everybody to worship the son as he worships the son. He wants everybody to love the son as he loves the son. He loves a son, his son. You could think back in Mount Moriah with Abraham and Isaac. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, Abraham, take your only son, whom you love, the son of promise, and go, give him as an offering on the mount I tell you to. Your only son whom you love. And so Abraham goes to this mountain. And as he's getting ready to plunge the knife into Isaac's breast to kill him, to offer him as a sacrifice, the voice, Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you fear God. And there was a ram caught in the thicket for the sacrifice, and and Isaac was spared. But we have God the Father looking, looking upon us in our miserable estate and saying, as one Puritan put it, here is a lot of sinners who have completely undone themselves. They lay open to my wrath entirely. But I love them. But I love them. And my justice demands their death. My justice demands their hell for all of eternity. And the Son, here's the Son of God, He comes. And He says, Father, let all their debts be upon Me. I am able to discharge it. The Father says, if I put all their debts upon you, know this, My Son, I will not spare you. Expect No pause. Nothing from me. All that wrath and justice and righteousness that they deserve, I'm going to pour out upon you, my son. My only son, whom I love. And so he sent his only son to this world. He he took on, our the son of God took on our flesh. And so you have the the creature and the creator distance. How, how, How can... 
divine justice be satisfied. No angel could die for me. No, no creature could die for me. It had to be God, but it had to be my representative. It had to be man. Like Job says, is there a man who can lay his hand upon God and upon me and represent us? And so you've got God the Son coming. He takes upon our flesh. Then it says he was made in the likeness of sinful flesh to condemn sin in the flesh. And not only that, but then upon that cross, the Son of God goes upon the cross and he is made a curse. Because we are a curse. Because we broke the law of God. It says, curses is everyone who hangs upon a tree. And so that, that blessing that we hear that we as, as saints love, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up the countenance, his light of countenance upon you and give you peace. As his son went onto that cross, darkness overshadowed him as became curse for us. And he, all he heard from heaven was, Cursed be you. Cursed be you. Let, let not the light of my countenance shine upon you. Let, let the terrors of hell and my wrath rage against your heart. Rage against your soul. Rage, rage against your flesh. I will not give you my peace. I will pour out the full force of my wrath upon you, my son. In the stead of ruined sinners. That's amazing. What great love that the Father would send his Son to die for wretched sinners. That he'd pour out his wrath upon his only begotten Son in our place. So that we would never taste wrath. So that we would never be condemned. This is the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And that's enough there, brothers and sisters, for us to just, oh, if we were just glorified, just to fall on our face and praise God for all of eternity, that he would send his son to die for us, take our condemnation for us. That's not where our text ends. He says this, the great love with which he loved us in the cross of Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He made us who were dead alive together with Christ. And you think about that because... Christ came for a bride, and God is the Father is preparing a bride for Christ. And any 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 fathers here would be looking upon a precious daughter, right, for your son to marry. But God looks upon us when we were wretched, prostitutes, sinners, corpse, and dead. Brother and sister, think about your sin. Think about all of your sin. And to think that God the Father, like, like he brought Eve to Adam, and Adam said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Brought Eve to Adam. He takes this corpse. He brings this corpse to his son. 
These hands, these bloody hands, these sinful hands, he puts together with his son's pure, sinless hands. And Christ, who do no sin, was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He brings us to his, his son and he unites us to his son and then he removes the veil from our eyes and we see the Son of God in all of His glory. And maybe you've heard this old, old story so many times. But do you remember that day when God just moved? Mine eyes diffused a quickening ray. Light came in. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed Thee. You just, you saw, you heard about Christ all this time, and then all of a sudden it was just like... Christ! I see Christ! You came alive together with him by the Holy Spirit and power and regenerating power. That's the new birth. He said, he said I saw, just like Moses put that serpent on the pole, whoever, whoever was bit saw that pole and was healed and I was racked with sin and death and then I saw Christ and I saw the glory of God. I saw his grace. I saw his mercy. I saw his love. I saw his justice. I saw his wrath. And I was set free. That's salvation. That's the new birth. God the Father brings a wretch like you and like me and unites us to his begotten Son. Makes us alive together with Christ. Because Christ didn't remain dead. He rose from the grave. And we are raised with Christ, is what our text says. So now no longer do we walk in the deadness of our sins and trespasses, but we walk in newness of life like we were supposed to be in the garden, with love to God, with love for our brothers and sisters, with love to him and worship, upholding his law, loving it, loving Christ, walking in the light, no longer in darkness. But that's not where he leaves us either. Not only were we raised with Christ, our text says, but it says that we were seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And this is absolutely astounding. I've been, I've been trying to bring us from the depths of hell. I'm slowly trying to bring us up to the glories of heaven. Just to think that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in the pit. And then it, God says, okay, it's enough. You stay there. I've justified you. You're saved. You're cleansed. Just stay over there. I, I'm done. No. He not only raises us, says, okay, I want you to walk in newness of life and please me because I love you. But now, I want you to be with me in the heavenly places. I'm going to raise you with Christ. I'm going to seat you in the heavenlies with my Son. I'm going to pour out the, the, the lavish riches of my kindness and grace upon you forever. Because I love you. I have a newborn daughter. And whenever I see her, I see, you know, she's on her play mat. And she's sitting there playing, and I just, I just love her. I just want to see her. And it's not, it's not enough for me to sit back in my chair and just look and say, yeah, that's great. No, I run over there. I pick her up and I look at her in the face. I love you. I just love you so much. That's what it's like to be raised with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. This is eternal life to know the one true God and Jesus Christ in me is sent. And now, 
Brothers and sisters, we have the privilege of looking with unveiled face in the face of our Savior and worshiping God forever. And there's just love, the love with which God has loved the Son. He loves us in the Son now. It's amazing, amazing grace. What great love. And finally, that leads us to our third point. His intention his intention. We read this in verse 7. So that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so God gets all the glory. God gets all the glory. He says, by grace you've been saved. It wasn't of your works. You were dead in your sin. God made you alive. It is God's grace. It is God's mercy. It is God's love. It is God who gets all the glory here. And as later Paul will go on in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God is proclaimed. That he took this wretch of a man like me and like you, like a wretch of a boy and girl and sinner and united them to Christ and cleansed them and then brought all of us who used to hate each other when we were dead in our sins and made us lovers of Christ together and love one another from different backgrounds and different ethnicities and different whatever and just make us one in Christ to proclaim to the world this is the power of God the power of the gospel for everyone who believes to the Jew first and to the Greek and God gets all the glory. Think about in the Old Testament with King David in the house of Saul. You had King David, then you had Saul, and Saul was king. Saul hated King David because he was the anointed and God had rejected Saul. But David had made a covenant with Jonathan. He loved Jonathan. And then one day when David became king, he says, who, who, may, who can I... For the sake of my covenant with Jonathan, for the sake of the house of Saul, who can I pour out my love upon? Who is there left of Jonathan? Because Jonathan and Saul fell in battle. They died. They said, well, there's this Mephibosheth. He, he's, he can, you know, how about him? Well, he's, he's crippled. He's, he's lame. Bring him on. Bring him to me. So Mephibosheth comes to David. And David says, Mephibosheth, I love you for the sake of Jonathan. And I'm going to raise you and sit, sit you at my table. And you're going to eat from my table all the days of your life. And so you could imagine Mephibosheth, like, what is this going to happen? I think I'm of the house of Saul, and here's King David, and he's calling me, and I'm a cripple, and I can't, what can I give to King David? What can I give to King David? And David says, mercy, grace, love, and raise you up, seat at my table. That's just a pale picture of what God has done for us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And the psalmist says, how blessed is the one that God takes and brings near into his house. They may be satisfied with his goodness forever and ever and ever. And who gets all the glory? God does, right? We're going to sit there for millennians and millennians and ages and ages saying, I was a wretch, I was this, I was a hypocrite, I was a sinner, I hated God, he saved me. 
And look what he's done for me. And look what he's done for you. And look what he's done for you. And we're going to worship God forever. And he gets all the glory. All the glory. And it's for our good. It's for our good. This is eternal life. And it begins now. It begins here at Harbor Reformed Baptist Church. We get to speak with one another. Say, look at what God has done for me in Christ. It's to speak to your loved ones who are yet dead in their sin and say, look what God has done for me. He can do this for you too. And so let me, let me close here. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. I'm dead in my sin. I've hardened my heart completely. There's no hope for me. It's not true. It's not true at all. Because today is the day of salvation. Today, the gospel is being preached. It was, it, it, Paul will say in Ephesians that it is Christ who came and preached peace to you. And so here, Christ is coming, preaching peace to you. He's saying, I am rich in mercy. I have loved you with an, with an undying love. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Look at my side. This is sufficient for all of your sins. For all of your sins. He, like Moses, he raised his staff in front of the Red Sea and the, and the Red Sea parted. And so it's like God made a way to come for a sinner. He said, I'll put my son upon the cross and that sea is divided. Come and run to Christ. Run to Christ. Look to Christ. He died for sinners like you. And be like those blind men as well. Who, when they heard that Christ was coming by, they said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd was like, be quiet. He doesn't want to hear you. And they just cried all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Christ had mercy on them. What do you want me to do, he says. Open our blind eyes. We want to see. Okay, he opens them. And they went and they followed Christ. That's just a picture of what God does in salvation. So if you're here and you're dead in your sins, like, I want this salvation. I want to know God. Cry out, have mercy on me. God, being rich in mercy, will save you. He saves everyone who calls upon him the name of the Lord, bestowing his riches of mercy and love on all who call upon him. All who call upon Christ. Because there is no other name in heaven given among men by which we might be saved but the name Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. Look to Christ. With faith, call upon him. Son of David, have mercy. He will save you. And you will be no longer a child of wrath, but a beloved child of God. And for the saints here, let this just be a feast. Take this home. Praise God. Go home and worship. Fall on your face. Come together as, as, as brother and sister and just... Tell of the mighty works of God. Tell of the mighty works of God. And listen to this also, and I'll close. For the children, a story. And maybe some of you have heard this story. I've heard it from somebody else. I think it's a good story. But I want the, I want the children to understand what I'm talking about here. So, there's a boy who made a boat. And he loved this boat because he created it. And he tied a string on it, and he used to take it in the lake and the rivers and, and watch the boat go. He'd play with the boat. He loved the boat. He watched it. 
And then one day, the stream got away, and the boat just went down the stream, and it was gone. It was lost. And he was devastated. And then one day, he went down into the store in the market, and he looks in this storefront, and he sees the boat. He says, that's my boat. And the, and, and the salesperson says, no, that's my boat. I bought this boat. He's like, no, no, I made that boat. That's my boat. And so he runs home, breaks open the piggy bank, gets his money, runs back to the store and buys the boat. He gets the boat, and he's hugging the boat, and he's kissing the boat. He says, I love you. And this is what he says to the boat. He says, twice have I owned you. First I created you, and then I bought you. And this is the gospel for you, children, maybe yet have not believed. You're created by God. You've fallen away in your sin and transgressions, and you're dead in your sins. God has sent his only begotten son to ransom you from your evil, wicked ways and save you if you will repent of your sin, look to Christ, and receive him by faith. And you'll be, you'll be able, you'll be that boat. <laughs> you'll be said of God of you. First, I created you. Then I bought you. Precious blood of my son. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for taking us from the pit of hell raising us up to the infinite heights of glory in Christ Jesus. By grace, we've been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. Lord, bless your word. Holy Spirit, come, we pray. Bring to life those who are yet dead. Stir up hearts that they might seek you. For you said, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Oh God, have mercy, we pray, and give thanks to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Brandt.